Anna Fenton, and welcome to the fourth part of Hooked, the five-part series where we examine the disease of addiction. Last week, we heard how addiction is a family disease, affecting both addicts and their loved ones too. This week, we hear what's new, how the internet is fueling process addictions to gambling, gaming, mobile phones, tablets, and especially online pornography, love, and sex. First stop is Chiang Mai, where I spoke to addictions counsellor Andy Leach. He attributes the dramatic rise in process addictions to the internet and mobile phones and explains how compulsive texting nearly wrecked his own recovery. Traditionally, we think of addiction as sort of drugs or alcohol, cocaine or whatever, um, but um, these days we're seeing m- many more sort of process addictions. What process actually means, as it is, as the word says, a process that you are going through. So, for instance... Gambling is a process addiction. You're not ingesting something, but we at the cabin see many people who come to us who say, for instance, if they're from Australia, well, I'm addicted to the pokies, and they're basically they're using these slot machines in to in an addictive fashion where right. they're, they're just plugging money in time and time again, but they're not actually ingesting anything. What's going on is that the arousal system of the brain, the reward system, is being lit up, and so it's you're living in the fantasy that you are going to win and it's the same so the process is very much about something that's going to happen in the future so i'm living in this sort of anticipation my brain is flooding with chemicals going yes it's coming it's coming it's coming and it's the same for any other process so we become addicted to sex there's also love addiction which is the fantasy of finding the perfect partner there's um eating can be well actually that is something that you're ingesting but that also can become a process that you become addicted to so the fantasy of how i'm going to be fixed by what i ingest but very much a process is about something that i'm doing which then gives me reward in terms of the brain chemistry that's going on in my brain that basically goes yes i've got this sort of like fantastic feeling because i've got this anticipation of this reward Okay, now I'm looking Mm. around Hong Kong and I'm Mm. seeing kids as young as two, uh, you know, who Mm. cry when their iPad is taken away from them. Mm. How does it translate then to to, uh, devices and and handheld things like phones and iPads? Because people seem to be addicted to them as well. Absolutely. Well, traditionally, I so if I look back in the past, I'd see ch- children of that age sort of crying when a bag of crisps was taken away from them. So the wonderful sort of combination of fat and salt and sugar and everything was hugely addictive. And so basically you take that away from a toddler and you see children becoming addicted to sugar and they cry. But now their reward system, like this process, is being rewarded by the activity on a telephone or the activity on an iPad or something like that. So the games where actually I get past a certain level and bing, I get a reward, ding, I get a reward. And so that makes the addictive process faster and faster. And as technology accelerates, so does the potential for addiction. So are we storing up a lot of problems with children being addicted to their their instant messengers and their WhatsApps and their Snapchats and all this sort of thing? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, the amount of clients that we have at the cabin in Chiang Mai who come to us who, who alongside maybe drug or alcohol addiction or some process addiction, the phone is as problematic 
We, we try to sort of take people's phones away from them uh, on a temporary basis and give them access if they need to for their businesses, etc. The amount of resistance we have to this, because people literally, it is like sort of another appendage that sort of become part of them. And <laughs> yeah. uh, they're, they're literally, it's, uh, so they go into withdrawal from it. So the withdrawal process, we traditionally think, oh, it's a heroin addict coming off drugs. But actually, if you take someone's process addiction away from them, which can be a telephone, an iPad, whatever it might be, they also will go into withdrawal because their brain is not being rewarded in the way that it would normally be rewarded. So they literally go into sort of like physical withdrawal as a result of this. Now, would this tend to lead them into being addicted to other things? If you take away their phone, will they pick up something else? It's quite likely we, we call that sort of cross addiction um, or coexisting sort of uh, addictions. Uh, definitely, it can very much so because if you think about the fact that your arousal system in your brain, your reward system, is all lit up, if I take one thing away, it's like, ah, I want reward give it to me one way or another how am I going to get it so I will then look for something else to replace that reward do you bring any of your own experiences to your work uh, well I mean particularly in t- I, I do I, I am someone who is in recovery from uh, uh, a nefarious past shall we say nefarious <laughs> yeah from many years ago but uh, I, I absolutely, sort of having been clean and sober for many, many years, I'm very aware of how addiction can manifest in many other forms. So my own personal experience was, for instance, becoming involved in a relationship a few years ago, which was highly addictive. The, the relationship itself, and she was in another continent, and the what was going on on our telephones was as arousing and as rewarding as a drug fix a hit of a drug so every time i sent a message a text message or a whatsapp message or whatever a facebook message i would sit in anticipation of receiving a reply and then when i got a reply it was just like oh god rush of sort of euphoria which is the dopamine it's the sort of endorphins that all get released and it was just like oh and it's like i got that fix incredibly dangerous in retrospect i was very very close probably the closest i'd been in nearly two decades of recovery it was the closest i'd come to relapse because i my reward system was so lit up so very much so and in fact that was before smartphones so that was actually texting that was going on and now with smartphones it's just as i say accelerating this potentiality for anyone that has the potential to develop addiction it's just being developed right from the word go so if we think about addiction in terms of how it develops in terms of nurture or nature when you talk about a two-year-old child that's going into withdrawal which is what we're discussing, what goes into withdrawal from that iPad at two years old, think about what they're going to be like at 12, 13. What, what are they going to be looking to, do, to find to replace that? That's a scary prospect, isn't it? Very much so, absolutely. And th- this world is becoming more and more uh, heading in that direction. The faster technology, capitalism, everything accelerates about sort of like yes i need that instant fix the more dangerous it becomes andy leach next sex addiction therapist brian rossman explains why we're suddenly hearing a lot more about love and sex addictions i think that a lot of that 
um, is is directly related to the to the internet and um, the the level and the amount of exposure. We have uh, the average age of exposure to, to pornography today is, is 10 years old um, in, in a most recent study. So I think that um, with addiction, we look at biological and genetic causation and environmental. And I think the increase in sex addiction is attributed very much to the environment. Okay, so it's not that we've suddenly got a whole lot of, of hidden sex addicts who've now come out of the closet. This is actually something to do with the internet speeding up um, the process. I, and I can I can quote a, a, a recent study that really illustrates that roughly three percent of individuals presented with sex um, addiction issues now it's about ten percent, and that was directly. Um, attributed to the internet. Now, what's the difference between a sex addict and someone who just has lots of affairs and lots of partners? So, and, and again, there's, uh, you know, I see uh, partners that will suggest that their uh, spouse is a sex addict. Not every person or partner that has affairs, visits massage parlors, goes to strip clubs, is an addict. We use the same criteria that we use to diagnose other addictions like um, alcohol or drugs to diagnose sex addiction. And that criteria is withdrawal tolerance, continued efforts to cut down, quit, moderate, manage, negative consequences in every area of the life. So we see really, really catastrophic consequences in true sex addicts. Brian Rossman. I also caught up with sex and love addiction therapist Fiona Markham, who says we shouldn't really be calling it sex addiction. I think the better term for sex addiction, if we're, if we're to be correct about it, is intimacy disorder, because most of the, all of, I'd go as far as to say, relationships that these people conduct online, offline, in person are all about not having any degree of intimacy so intimacy in that in that kind of term not meaning sexual intimacy meaning a connection with another human being so are you saying sex addiction is the preserver of the lonely it, to some degree the isolated and maybe like we see with uh, other types of addiction like alcoholism that this becomes a lone practice because there's an element of shame involved in this and there's and it probably works on different degrees that you you can see some activities that you could happily go to a dinner party and talk about doing and you might rise a few smiles from your friends and it would be okay the next level up as as the tolerance increases is stuff that you might only tell your best friend and they might say to you hang on a minute this is going to start affecting you now once it tips over into the third level it's stuff that you're not telling anybody and at that point you become completely shut down. The internet has had a big role in, in the acceleration of addictions, I think we could say, and created a whole bunch of new ones, like yeah. um, social media addictions and online porn addictions. Has this, how has this affected sex addicts? Yeah, well, I think when we're looking at uh, how, how does this progress, everything is now available, everything's at our fingertips. That's bad enough, but when we're thinking that everything's at our fingertips 24 hours a day, your smartphone that's in everybody's pocket from age 10 upwards carries all of this material all of the time. So clearly things are going to change because we can access more. So when we're looking at a, 
an addict moving through let's let's make up our, our addict he he maybe starts off by using the internet when he comes home at work with perhaps a glass of wine of part of part of his end of day wind down routine and maybe he uses what's considered to be quite soft pornography for arousal and masturbation and his glass of wine and stops when that progresses and he that no longer works for him anymore and he needs to look at things that are more stimulating to him or he realises he can access things that have a different effect on him we see the process happening like we do with any other other addiction where this is now increasing to a level that's actually quite worrying and then the next day he's, he's at work and he starts to access it on his smartphone or he starts to access it on his work computer and all of a sudden you can see how very quickly this can affect his, you know, I'm, I'm not turning up at meetings because I got stuck looking at this and it it took too much time, just like the alcoholic meant to go home after one drink but never made it. He then accesses it through work computer, that becomes an HR issue. His employment is at risk, just like the addict who's turning up late every day. Or his wife finds out or his partner finds out or his husband finds out. But somehow this can have catastrophic effects. Fiona Markham. For sex addict Andrew, not his real name, we've changed it for this programme, The internet provided the triple-A engine of accessibility, affordability and anonymity. He describes the impact of discovering an online sex portal. It was like zero to 100 miles an hour in a heartbeat because what it did was I just all of a sudden could start to go down different avenues of different types of pornography, different types of girls, different fetishes and all the rest of it. And I almost, I mean, I, I can distinctly remember the first time I discovered that there was this world of imagery out there, then my heart was nearly coming out of my chest. I mean, I was so excited immediately by this prospect because the fact that it was bottomless, the fact that it was just endless, you know, and and so diverse and the range and, you know, and, and it could help me focus my fantasy, all of that stuff just took me to a level of excitement that I just had never experienced before. Um, so, so that I would say the obsession and addiction to the internet was immediate and it just allowed this massive indulgence so again I was working for myself I had I had I mean just as a backstory I had set up my life in a way that it would support my addiction and I knew this was happening I knew this was happening after I'd been away for a while in, in Asia and come back and set myself up as a consultant and so I was working for myself and I knew then that what this was going to do, this was going to facilitate my addiction. I was going to have time, control, access, everything that I wanted. And I knew I was doing it. A part of me, I was in denial, but I knew deep down that my whole life was now being structured around the fact that I needed a half of my life to be dedicated to my addiction. Right. So when did your life become unmanageable? So I would say it became unmanageable several years ago when the kind of internet I got caught by my wife you know looking at imagery on the on the laptop she then saw a back history which was quite you know quite significant in terms of you know sites that I've been looking at but she just she kind of scolded me and I felt really ashamed but she just left it and you know I don't know just I, I was shamed but we just kind of moved on from it and she and I had a relatively healthy sex life at the time but I uh 
I just I was recognising that my obsession with it was it was kind of happening at any moment, any time that I, I, I wanted it to, and that actually it was starting to affect my, my career, my mm. performance, and sometimes my friendships as well. I was I would actually rather stay home and masturbate than go out and meet friends or go and socialise or whatever it might be. So you were isolating. I was already isolating a long time ago, um, and so I, I I was beginning to see that. Even though I was aware of myself isolating, I was finding it harder and harder to do much about it. So it started to kind of escalate and escalate, and then I was trying, I was planning business travel so that I could go away and indulge and all the rest of it. And then I started to realise more and more as I was conducting uh, or kind of indulging. So whether it was internet, whether it was prostitutes, anything, I'd be I'd be having more and more conversations in the mirror, and I'd be actually talking to myself, saying, "You don't, you shouldn't be doing this." And yet I would be looking myself in the eye and saying, you have to stop, or this is the last time. Or So I would say about maybe six years ago, five years ago, I started to recognise I'm not in control of this anymore. And I would have the constant narrative in my mind that I wasn't hurting anyone. I mean, that was what I thought. You know, I was so self-obsessed, but I was thinking, this is just for me, and life's too short, and all these kind of typical phrases. But I also started to recognise that I was out of control. That was Andrew, who is now in recovery from sex addiction. Closely related to sex addiction is love addiction. Therapist Fiona Markham again. Love addiction tends to be the more female side of the coin. Not always, but we we see a significant number of women identifying more with love addiction than sex addiction. Women tend to not be as hooked on the actual act of sex or the act of orgasm it's more about the being wooed and falling in love and this big rush feeling that they have, which is very similar to like a cocaine rush, where everything is, is running and tingly and, and exciting. And we have, in patterns of love addiction, we have women who appear to be addicted to this very early phase of a relationship and no more. Like just the infatuation phase. Absolutely. So it's the buzz, it's the high, it's the feeling that you get when your WhatsApp goes bing, and you know it's from well, you don't know it's from him to start off with, and then as soon as you realise that it is that rush that happens, the first date syndrome, that everything is is moving very quickly. These women tend to overcommit in the moment, so they throw everything in. They believe they're in love, truly believe they're in love, and there's no substance to the relationship at all. There's no again, there's no intimacy. So where we've talked before about sex addiction and there being a lack of intimacy love addiction whilst it looks like a very intimate act also has absolutely no no intimacy or connection either so where's the partner in all this is he or she um doing the same thing or are they just kind of happy to receive this sort of adulation or what's happening with them yeah it can be both and it happens in heterosexual relationships and homosexual relationships we have one person who's throwing in their all and the other who's distant. So we have someone who's chucking in everything early days for this love, this love commitment and believes that they want the commitment and the more they do that, the more the other person is going to run away. So you've got a perfect situation for somebody who would, both of them having intimacy disorders, you know, like the two pieces of Velcro, the intimacy disorders go crash together. One of them looking for everything and the other one looking to escape. But of course this vicious circle happens and what, eventually what we get is a relationship that crumbles at the first hurdle. 
So A chases B, B runs away from A. So A chases even harder. Uh, chases even harder, yeah. Because okay. it's love. It's that you are you're my soulmate. I quite often hear this from female clients. But he's my soulmate. But he's the person I'm supposed to spend all my life with. But he's got no idea of that. And the concept that two people have to want those things doesn't occur in these situations. So their strength of feeling is so strong, they think that the other person must be infected with it too. Or that they can change them. Oh, right. You know, I I can make you love me. What do I need to give up in myself? So we've got boundaryless behaviour. What do I need to give up in myself, give up in my life, give up in my home in order to make me right for you? It's, Mm. It's actually very scary. You know, and we have lots of people then with escalating mental health problems. It's... It kind of runs in parallel to a few other coexisting conditions and it can be incredibly damaging. You know, people really getting in a, in a real problem from serial relationships. And if they go on for sort of nine months, actually, is about the magic number for a, for a love addict to be in a relationship before it, it kind of falls apart on them. But men can be just as obsessive as well, can't absolutely, they? Absolutely, absolutely. As women can be sex addicts you know we can have women who are in downward spiral relationships with with sex and with online and offline sex very risky sexual behavior so when the risk is increasing they're not taking any notice of this risk they're jumping in harder and yeah both sexes can be doing the same thing it tends to be that that women identify more with this pattern but maybe that's a social stereotype as well Yes, I think we do tend to jump to conclusions on that one, but I guess there's no reason for it not to be 50-50. No. So what's the cure for this love addiction? Because I think most people listening to this would, would have a little guilty thought that maybe they'd done this once or twice in their life. Yeah, and I, I think there's a, a normal process where we make mistakes in relationships and we believe we've found the one only to find out that the one really was the one we wish we'd run away from. And some of that is normal. It's if this is if this is causing harm you know if if your relationship if your need to be in a relationship and to be in love is greater than your need for you to be in a good place yourself so again we get a spiral that looks very much like any other addiction that i'm prepared to throw everything in here at all costs despite the risk despite the potential of hurt here i'm going anyway and then we start to have you know crisis situations Fiona Markham. I caught up with recovering sex and love addict Jean. She describes the shame of her illness and the string of painful, destructive relationships and affairs and how she found help with Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, otherwise known as SLA. Yes, I was suffering from this disease and I used to feel so shameful about it. Before I came to Sex and Love Addict Anonymous, in almost all my relationships, I got into bedroom with men too quickly, sometimes on the second or third date, sometimes on the first date. And of course, I had a casual sexual relationship, I had a one-night stand. The diff- I think most people have that, but the difference for me is once I get into bedroom with men, I start getting emotionally attached to them very fast and then I started having expectations on them and myself and the relationship and then the real issue is I can't stop I can see it's not going right but I can't stop that goes with one of our signs of sex and love addiction 
which is stay or return to destructive and painful relationship. That's how my repetitive behavior pattern. Okay, so what would happen? You'd you'd fall head over heels for some guy really quickly, and you'd be mo- moving much faster than him. Yes. So what would? How would it end? And then I would hurt. I would be hurt, and then of course I would hurt them. And then I'll be oh I'm so heartbroken. I need to be fixed. I need to be rescued. Then I go to another man, and then start the whole behavior pattern again and again and again. So and another thing、uh, was the sex part. I used to feel so shameful about calling myself sex and love addict. I used to think. If I just caught myself love addict, that sounds much better than the sex and love. Of course, and plus I'm a woman, made me feel like oh, you're you're a slut.、Mm-hmm. But now I can see the sex part in my addiction.、Um, in a put it put in a very simple way, my previous relationships started from the bottom, which is the private part, and then I let them into my heart. And then I start when things don't go right. I'm like, oh, I started thinking with my head. That's that was the previous order. Now I have been in the program for over three years. I'm in a very blessed blessed relationship, which started very slowly. It started the opposite order. I started thinking, oh, if my personality go with this man's personality, rational thinking, and then slowly. I let him into my part, and then the sex relationship came the last. I've never had a relationship like that before. I came to SLA. That's great. So, what was it that got you to make the realization that you had a problem and you needed to join a twelve-step program like SLA? Just like all the addicts in all the twelve-step programs,、um, my back was against the wall. I had nowhere to go. I came to SLA when I was in. Over three years ago, I was in the middle of nowhere in the States. I got into a relationship、um, with a man whom I met online, and I flew thousands of miles to meet him. I spent five days with him, and then he disappeared. All of a sudden, it really felt—I know it wasn't—but it felt like the end of the world. It must have felt like you were abandoned. Absolutely. So my whole world was dark. I. There was a voice in my in within me crying. I need help. God help me. God help me. And I recalled a friend of mine mentioned about sex and、uh, love addict anonymous. So that's where I went. Recovering sex and love addict Jean. So how do you know if you're a sex addict? The cabin's Brian Rossman again. Like any addiction or mental health issue, if you or you you have a loved one that you feel may be struggling and may have a sex addiction,、um, see an addiction aware therapist that also has sex addiction experience, and there's there's an assessment,、um, an evaluation and assessment that we use an online version, very quick. Uh, assessment and a more, much more in-depth sexual dependency inventory that we use to really、um, look at, at the individual's sex, sexuality, history, and effects of their sexual behavior. Okay, now we've heard quite a lot about love addiction already. How can you tell if you're a love addict? Similar, and、um, all of these issues are, are, in my opinion, a, you know, a core of intimacy and attachment disruptions. 
And love addiction is just another external focus, much like any of the other addictions that we that we have. And there are online assessments, and you can speak with a with a, a ther- an aware therapist that would be able to help you realize if that's a problem. Once again, Brian Rossman. Thank you to all my guests this week. Next week is the final part of the series, and we talk recovery. Join me then. <laughs>